0: это наиболее hello and welcome to haunted hometowns your weekly true crime paranormal podcast with me blake lambert hack and this season i'm covering cases from venice italy and tonight i am very excited to discuss a singular ghost the ghost of giuseppe zoli this is going to be a long one so if i'm talking fast half speed me but grab coffee glass of wine and a snack, cause it's gonna be a good one. We're just gonna jump right in. So in September of 1921, over 100 years ago, Vincio Salvi, a worker from the neighborhood of Castello, Venice, was walking through the beautiful, beautiful tree-lined park when he approached the stunning monument of Giuseppe Garibaldi. As Vincio walked around the statue, he was struck on his upper arm so hard that he stumbled forward. When he quickly turned around to see who assaulted him, there was no one to be found, only a dissipating red shadow. Vincio quickly ran to the tavern. He was meeting his friends at and told them what had happened. He was in the park collecting snails for supper. And quick sidebar, to be honest, snails are so good. I mean, they don't taste like much. The snails I've had tasted more like whatever they were cooked in, usually butter. Butter. That's my Paula Deen. Butter. Got you right here, some butter. I know Paula Deen is problematic, but her food is one of the best meals I've ever had. No joke. I love Southern cooking, I'm not from the South, but my mom's family is from Kentucky, so I like to describe myself as Southern adjacent. Love bourbon, love moonshine, country music, and yet I could never live there at this point in time. Also, not to jump into another tangent, but I've had rabbit for the first time recently, and that also was amazing. People need to be more adventurous with food. The faces I get when I mention rabbit being on a menu is too much. (laughs) Just try it. You may love it. I've tried alligator. Alligator is good from in New Orleans, but it tastes very similar to chicken. Rattlesnake is fine, but it was fried when I had it. So the flavor wasn't too intense. I love shark and I haven't had it in a while, but when I had it, it was so good. And there actually isn't much found in the sea that I dislike. Sea urchin is great, Love skate wing. Caviar is good if it's not too salty. All this to say that snails are good, but they usually taste like butter. Okay, back to the story. Vincio made it to the tavern and found his friends, stating, quote, "'You know how far the statue is from the trees? "'I swear there was no one there. And anyway, how could he have escaped? Just as it appeared, the shadow disappeared into thin air, a red shadow, unquote. And then he showed his friends his developing bruise on his upper arm. Of course, opinions of what happened were split. Some of his, some of his friends didn't buy it and probably thought he was drunk or fell or ran into something, stumbling on his way to or from the bar and others were shocked at the thought of a shadow appearing from nowhere. The red shadow. In Italian, is l'ombra rosa, but in Venetian dialect, specifically ombra, can also refer to a small glass of wine. Fun fact. And you may ask, why does the word shadow mean small glass of wine in Venice? The origins aren't very clear, And everyone has their own version of the story, of course. But it's generally agreed upon that in St. Mark's Square, there was a wine vendor who set up his cart every day in the shadow of the famous bell tower to keep his wines cool and himself cool and away from the sun. And as the sun moved throughout the day, as did the shadow of the bell tower, and so he would take his cart along and stay in the shadow of the bell tower throughout the day. And eventually people would start making plans to meet up in the shade of the bell tower for some wine. And when more time passed, a glass of wine became known as the shadow. Now, apparently you can still ask for a shadow of wine today. Give me two shadows, Dame de Ombre, Ombre, however you pronounce that. And they will most likely bring you Prosecco or another white by the glass. But yeah, this worker was just talking about a red shadow and no one really knew what he was talking about. Some believed him, some didn't. So we are going to jump into the story of Giuseppe Zoli. Actually, we're going to talk more about Giuseppe Garibaldi for a while, and then we'll get to Giuseppe Zoli. Of course, they're both named Giuseppe. Stick with me. So the monument that the worker was attacked by is dedicated to a man named Giuseppe Garibaldi and was erected in 1887 by a sculptor, Augusto Benvenuti. And Augusto has made many sculptures in Venice, but the most famous one is probably a monument to Italian painter and a man we've talked about here on Haunted Hometowns, Giorgione. And just a fun fact the sculptor is Giorgione's. The sculpture of Giorgione is in Giorgione's hometown of Castle Franco, which is a walled city in beautiful condition. It's giving medieval castle for sure. It looks stunning and I would love to visit one day, but as of 1887, The Giuseppe Garibaldi Monument in Venice consists of a large rock. From the pictures, I think it's like two stories high. And it's not a typical like marble or stone bottom. But it's literally, it looks like just a rock that Giuseppe Garibaldi stands on top of. and It's a bronze statue. And near the bottom of that rock boulder is a lion laying on its side because that the lion is the symbol of Venice. There's a small moat around the rock which I believe has little turtles living in it. And I'm sure you're wondering now how the statue of Giuseppe Garibaldi is related to Giuseppe Zoli. And to understand that, We're going to have to get into who Giuseppe Garibaldi is and why there are so many goddamn sculptures and monuments of him across Italy and why his name is across Europe and South America and North America and literally everywhere. Have I heard of him before? No, but he's very famous. So we're going to get into Giuseppe Garibaldi, Giuseppe Maria Garibaldi, to be exact, his government name, if you will. Giuseppe Maria Garibaldi was a famed Italian general, patriot and revolutionary. He is considered one of the greatest generals of modern time and not just of Italy, but of the entire world. Greatest generals of modern time and is known as one of Italy's quote, fathers of the fatherland, unquote. Other people that are within the, that title of father of the fatherland are Camillo Benso, Victor Emmanuel II, and Giuseppe Mazzini, and they all played a significant part in the unification of Italy after the Napoleonic Wars. Giuseppe Garibaldi is also known as the, quote, hero of the two worlds, unquote. And he was part of several major wars for Italy, including not just for Italy, but a uh, ragamuffin war, which I'm pretty sure that's the name of a cat in the smash musical cats. Also just a great word ragamuffin. I mean, the me- the meaning isn't great. A child in rags or like dirty clothing or whatever, but in context, it's war And in this context, war, but what a wonderful word. Ragamuffin. Anyway, Ragamuffin War, Uruguayan War, Italian Unification Wars, which lasted over 20 years, uh, and the Franco-Persian War to name a few. And before we get into the unification of Italy, Garibaldi was a follower of the Italian nationalist movement known as the Young Italian Movement. Their slogan, Union, Strength, and Liberty. And one important thing to know at this time was that Italy, at least what we know as Italy today, was ruled by five separate states. There was the kingdom of there was the kingdom of Sardinia, which ruled northern Italy and the largest island west of Italy called Sardinia. Florence, Pisa, Milan, Genoa, they all fell within the borders of kingdom of Sardinia. There was also the kingdom of two Sicilies, which took up the entirety of southern Italy including cities like Naples and Palermo on the island of Sicily. The third largest kingdom was the Papal State, which of course was ruled by the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope, covering central Italy, including Rome. The fourth was Kingdom of Lombardy, Venezia. However, during the wars that would be conquered by the Kingdom of Sardinia, we'll get into that as does the fifth state of Savoy or Savoy. I think it's Savoy at this point, which ruled over a small section of Northwest Italy, including cities like Savoy and Nietzsche, which are now part of France, but we'll get into that later. All of that to say is that Italy was a hot mess and needed to be unified as soon as possible. So Garibaldi, moved to Piedmont and was part of an uprising. However, it did not go according to plan as most uprisings don't, and he was sentenced to death. However, as I'm sure you could guess, he did not die, and in fact, he escaped and sailed to South America to escape death. During the 14 years living in exile, Garibaldi learned the art of guerrilla warfare, and participated in several wars in South America. That is when he joined the rebels known as the Ragamuffins in the Ragamuffin War in Brazil. And while in South America, he raised an Italian force of his own known as the Red Shirts or Red Coats. They were volunteers who followed Garibaldi during his campaigns called Red Shirts for wearing red into battle, of course. And the Red Shirts is a better fan name than Swifties, let me tell you. Garibaldi's success in South America, followed by his later success in Italy, is why he is known as the hero of two worlds, Europe and South America. Even though the unification of Italy didn't officially begin until 1848, there was still revolutionary activity before that, of course. Words don't just pop up. There's always a lot of foreplay going on. And one of the first significant uprisings was of the Venetian brothers. Attilio and Emilio Bandiera. They got together, about 20 men, ready to sacrifice their lives and set sail for the coast of the kingdom of two Sicilies, which they did on June 12th, 1844. And four days later, they landed near Crotone, which is the southern coast of Italy. If you're looking at a boot, it would be where like the ball of your foot sits. That is where Crotone is. And they were to meet up with more men... And then once they met up with those men, they were to travel to Cosenza to liberate political prisoners. However, they were betrayed by someone in their party and some peasants they met on their way. And they were found out and lost the element of surprise. And the remainder of the men were taken prisoners. Sadly, I think this exhibition was doomed to fail from the beginning. Having 20 men and leading with, You may die. Isn't the best recipe for success in my opinion. Some of you may die, but it's a risk I am willing to take. That's two Shrek quotes we've already had. The Bandiera Brothers, which honestly is a sick bank robber name. The Bandiera Brothers. Someone needs to write that movie. And nine of their companions were executed by firing squad, yelling, Viva la Italia" As they fell. Which I'm sure you can guess is long live Italy. And their, and their deaths was universally condemned by Italy. And the Venetian brothers became martyrs for the rest of the war the unification of Italy, war. More and more revolts were taking place all across Italy. In Lombardy citizens stopped smoking cigars and playing the lottery because it denied Austria the tax revenue. And honestly, we need to take boycotting more seriously. It seriously makes a difference. People get so butthurt over it. Oh, I guess I should mention that during this time, we got five different states, right, in Italy. France is still playing a major role because of the Napoleonic Wars, so they're covering, they have some say in the Papal State, they have a lot of say in the two Kingdom of Two Sicilies. Austria is in charge, or is ruling over the Lombardy venezia region, and then... What's left of Italy is ruling over the kingdom of Sardinia, but Sicily's revolt almost won back the island, but the Bourbon army took back full control by 1849. So these revolts aren't anything to like laugh about. They were intense and they made a lot of progress. However, because they were so separated and not unified they didn't get very far attacking these well-established kingdoms so in 1848 40 year old garibaldi returned to italy with the same goal as before remember he's been in exile this entire time during the revolts and so on and so forth fighting his own wars in south america His goal is still the unification of Italy, and he's willing to sacrifice anything to get Italy unified. So he was made a general in Milan. I guess that's the good thing about having so many kingdoms. When you're exiled from one kingdom, you can come back to a different kingdom within the same country and still live and do your thing. But he was made general in Milan. So when the Italian war for independence broke out, Garibaldi was ready. Cities like Venice were begging for help, so the Kingdom of Sardinia decided that this was the perfect time to start the war for unification. Garibaldi was tasked to capture Lombardy for the Kingdom of Sardinia. Remember, Lombardy owned by Austria at this point. They captured most of the Kingdom of Lombardy of Venezia and then turned to the Papal State, Garibaldi marched into Rome right after Pope Pius IX fled. And this battle for Rome is the one where the inside of the Catholic Church was covered in blood. Like, it was not cute. I don't remember which episode I mentioned that, but this is the one I was talking about back then. Like, they walked into the chambers within the Catholic Church in Rome, and it was just bloody everywhere. That's when negotiations began with both sides and treaties were signed, leaving the Papal State just the Republic of Rome and the Austrians just owned the Republic of Venice because it was just out of reach of the Kingdom of Sardinia. Again, I read a lot of shit getting into this. It's very complicated. I believe this is the order of things if you want to dig deeper do some of your own reading but i'm just gonna focus on garibaldi and his dealings so at this point kingdom of sardinia has captured some of Lombardy, and they tried to attack the papal state and rome and the pope but it didn't really turn out according to plan so instead of continuing the war they signed some treaties Not long after, the Pope's French allies stepped in and restored the Pope after like a two-month siege making Garibaldi flee from Rome. And to escape death once again, because Garibaldi pissed off a bunch of people by attacking the papal state, he went to New York City in 1850 and the goal was to purchase a ship while the while the Austrians tried to take back a lot of what they lost during the initial attack. The small Italian fractured armies were no match for the large sweeping French and Austrian armies, and the First War of Independence didn't go exactly to plan. But the Kingdom of Sardinia realized that France and the French were still somewhat an ally and that the Pope could never be the leader of a unified Italy. So in return for French forces to aid in the battle of or the battle against Austria, Italy gave France, Nietzsche and Savoy. So that the Kingdom of Sardinia had backing of Britain and France. So even though France has A lot of say in the Papal State and Kingdom of Two Sicilies, France still doesn't want Austria interfering, even though they had some business back in the day before all of this. So France was like, sure, we'll help you fight Austria. That's cool. But in return, we want Nietzsche and Savoy. So even today, Nietzsche and Savoy are part of France. That's why I call it Savoy. I do believe, now that it's French, it's Savoie, and they changed the spelling of it to be Savoie. Though Nice, maybe it's called now, Nice, though again, it's technically Italian, so Nietzsche, I don't know. The Pope is back in charge in Rome. Nietzsche and Savoy have been given to the French, and we're still kind of... we as in italy is still fighting austria for lombardy venezia and all of this garibaldi is in new york city okay we're going to take a quick break just so you can grab another glass of wine grab another snack and eventually we'll get to giuseppe soli and his contribution to all of this we'll be right back back. So the time between the first and second Italian War of Independence, Garibaldi spent some time in New York City trying to obtain a ship. However, he didn't have the money to buy one in New York City. I live here. It's expensive to live here. I'm sure it was expensive to buy a ship back then. So he worked in a candle factory on Staten Island to make some money, but he absolutely hated it. So he went with his friend, Carpinetto, and traveled to Central America in 1851. They went to Nicaragua, then to Peru, where Garibaldi obtained this ship called the Carmen for a trading voyage is basically what he went for. His first stop was the Chincha Islands right off the coast of Peru. And then he headed West all the way to China, which is a long fucking trip across the Pacific. Then all the way back to Peru, which again is a long fucking trip. And his second trip, he sailed to Boston and then back down to NYC, where he resigned as captain of the Carmen and took over another ship called the Commonwealth. Boring as fuck names. He then sailed from New York City to London, a lot of sailing going on in these years, in 1854. From there, he sailed to Genoa, ending his five years away from Italy. He's a world traveler. I'm quite jealous, actually. At this point, he's seen like every fucking continent, maybe not the Arctic or Antarctica, but by 50 years of age, he's been all over fucking Europe, South America, North America, Asia. He did stop in Australia as he was sailing through those islands, so he can count Australia. And when he returned to Italy, his brother had passed away, leaving Garibaldi with a decent amount of money. So, he bought half an island and dedicated himself to agriculture. Like, this man is wild. He's like, I've done war. I've been a captain. I've been in a candle factory. Let's farm. Let's farm. Let's do some farming on an island. Though five years after him purchasing that island and... feeding some pigs and riding some horses, the second Italian War of Independence broke out. April 1860, Garibaldi gathered a 1000 volunteers, a 1000 volunteers. And I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he put an ad out in the paper. I don't know if he lit a firework. And, you know, people knew what that meant. I don't know if he knocked on a thousand different doors and asked if they wanted to come. I don't know how he got these thousand people. I don't know if he sat in a bar and just chatted up the bar patrons, but he gathered a thousand volunteers and they were called the thousand, clever, or Emile, and they were also called red shirts as they were Garibaldi's followers, just as the men in South America were. These thousand men, took two ships named Il Pimonte and Il Lombardo and left Genoa for Marsala on the westernmost part of Sicily. As the thousand marched inland, so they were marching east, they picked up more volunteers of local rebels against the kingdom of two Sicilies And real quick, it was called the Kingdom of Two Sicilies because they were originally two separate kingdoms. Kingdom of Sicily, which was the island of Sicily, and the Kingdom of Naples, which was the inland part of southern Italy. Eventually, the Spanish took over both kingdoms. They didn't unify the kingdoms, but instead just called them the Two Sicilies. And the two kingdoms were unified in 1816, thus just became known as the Kingdom of Two Sicilies. Which is such a silly name, but work. As the thousand fought their way inland on Sicily, they came to the hill of Calatafimi on May 15th, Garibaldi had 800 volunteers at this point against the kingdom of two Sicily's 1500 troops on the island of Sicily or in that area. Before the attack, Garibaldi muttered to his lieutenant, quote, here we either make Italy or die, unquote. What a pep talk. Maybe coaches should just start taking that approach. Okay, Anchorage Sirens. That's my future ice hockey team, by the way. The Anchorage Sirens. Okay, Anchorage Sirens. You better get out there and make Anchorage or die. Like how? That's not great. I mean, you're fighting for your life out there, but come on. Something a little more inspirational. I'm just picturing all these hockey players like skating out on the ice and kicking ass in fear of death. Like, you know, have you seen those videos of ice hockey players getting like cut across throats and bleeding out on the ice? That's terrifying. It's a dangerous sport, y'all. Of course, Garibaldi's team won. And the following day, he declared himself dictator of Sicily, which is bold. He only conquered a small part of the island and he already was laying claim to the entire island of Sicily. Bold. He then led his troops to Palermo, the capital of Sicily, and launched a siege. Many people living there rose up with Garibaldi and they were about to take the city when, of course, French reinforcements showed up and bombed the fuck out of Palermo and turn the city into ruins which is it's just so disrespectful I understand it's a war and you're trying to win but these cities didn't do anything to you it's so sad to see huge cities crumble because people can't get fucking along or talk about things it's like why don't we just sit down and talk I know that's like naive but still Britain showed up and intervened. They proposed a truce in which the French surrendered the city of Palermo and left. And I mean, the city was destroyed, so of course France left. His victory over the capital spread. Garibaldi's victory over the capital spread throughout Italy like a plastic bag floating through the wind. Um, Everyone was praising his name. Garibaldi was a fucking hero. He took over Sicily. And then he moved to Messina and won a very difficult battle at Milazzo. And since the island of Sicily was taken care of, he conquered all of Sicily. He then crossed the Strait of Messina to the mainland Italy within the kingdom of, I guess it's just kingdom of one Sicily now, but he went into the inland of King, kingdom of two Sicilies, marching north all the way to the capital, which was Naples. He At this point, he had around 24,000 troops by now because again, as he's marching through these towns to get to the capitals in these larger cities to fight. The people that were revolting initially just picked up and joined Garibaldi's armies. So at this point, he's 24,000 troops. And he takes Naples easily. However, he did struggle t- to defeat the remaining 25,000 Neapolitan army that was still left in the kingdom of two Sicilies. The battle was finally swayed with the reinforcement of the Piedmont army, which was technically an ally of Garibaldi. Again, the Piedmont the Piedmont army is part of the kingdom of Sardinia, who basically hired Garibaldi as a general. However, the Piemonte army and the kingdom of Sardinia refused to march into Rome in fear of retaliation from France. They had just defeated French armies in the papal state, but since Rome was the capital, they wanted to like leave it alone and let them do their own thing while they worked on the kingdom of two Sicilies and the rest of Italy. And because of that, Garibaldi ended up handing over the kingdom of two Sicilies to the Piemonte army, and he just straight up retired. So he did all that work, conquered Sicily, conquered, conquered southern Italy, and he was like, I did my work, I'm going to go take a nap now, enjoy And you have to remember, he was 53 at this point. So I'm sure he must have been ripped. Fighting these wars, again, it's the fucking 1800s. It's not like you're sitting behind a rocket and clicking go or a green button or play. Or nowadays in a room thousands and thousands of miles away and using video game controllers to fly an airplane to drop bombs. Like he's, this is combat at 53 years old. Garibaldi didn't like the current prime minister of Sardinia and didn't trust him partly because he gave away Garibaldi's hometown of Nietzsche to France, but also for political reasons, of course. So instead, he backed monarch Victor Emmanuel II, who he met at Tiano, right before his retirement. And Garibaldi refused any rewards for his service and went back to farming on his little island. In retirement, the American Civil War broke out. And since Garibaldi was so well known and decorated as a war hero, Secretary of State William Seward reached out to Garibaldi, asking him to be a major general for the Union army. Garibaldi very much aligned himself with the Union forces and ideals, but ultimately denied the job offer. And the meeting was, the meeting between William Seward and Garibaldi was a year before the Emancipation Proclamation. And on August 6th, 1863, after the Emancipation of Proclamation had been issued by Lincoln, Garibaldi wrote the president and said, quote, Posterity will call you the great emancipator, a more enviable title than any crown could be and greater than any merely mundane treasure, unquote. Like I said, Garibaldi is all about unification, and he did not agree with slavery and so he really was rooting for the Union Army at that point. But wait, there's more. Garibaldi was so intensely anti-Catholic that his interest in overthrowing the Pope inspired other anti-Catholic supporters to riot. Remember, even though most of Italy is unified now under the Kingdom of Sardinia, there's still the Republic of Rome and the Republic of Venice that are not part of the Union. Many didn't want to attack the papal because it had such international support from Italy to France to Ireland. However, Garibaldi sailed to Palermo to gather volunteers for the campaign against the papal. And again, I don't know how he's gathering these camp volunteers. I guess he's so well known at this point that he just has to show up somewhere and people, you know, if he builds it, they will come. One of those situations. Their slogan against the papal was Rome or death. Roma o morte. He stated that he would, Garibaldi stated that he would enter Rome or perish beneath its walls. Incredibly dramatic. Unfortunately, the government, meaning the Kingdom of Sardinia, did not like that Garibaldi wasn't following orders and arrested him and his followers. I'm gonna speed through the rest of the war shit because there is so much more just to get Austria and France out of Italian affairs. But Garibaldi eventually was released from prison, made nice with Britain. Italy allied with Prussia against Austria, hoping to get Venice back. Eventually, Austria signed an armatist to stop fighting with Italy and gave Venice back to Italy. Garibaldi was still not over Rome and marched on the city once again, and he was shot in the leg and arrested once again for not listening to the government. After being healed and released, he said, quote, the papacy, being the most harmful of all secret societies, ought to be abolished, unquote. And I can't say I disagree with Garibaldi. France and Prussia fought, and Italy once again backed Prussia, hoping to get Rome back. And when France pulled troops from Rome for the Franco-Prussian War, Italy swooped in, and took Rome. And because of Garibaldi's hate for Bonaparte III, he went to France and fought for the French Third Republic against the reigning Bonaparte. France loved Garibaldi and made him a member of Parliament for a bit. And again, Garibaldi was super liberal and even erred on the side of socialism. He saw the struggle for liberty as an international issue, stating, quote, One does not make a distinction between the African and the American, the European and the Asian, and therefore proclaims the fraternity of all men, whatever nation they belong to, unquote. There was a meeting in Argentina that he was a part of that was trying to get several countries to set up policies regarding universal voting progressive taxation, required education, administrative reform, emancipation of women, and even to get rid of the death penalty. He founded the League of Democracy off these beliefs in 1879, and Garibaldi died at 75 years old. I'm not sure what he died from, but honestly, exhaustion? He did so much shit. He was constantly on the move. I mean, he did have arthritis, but at that age, who doesn't? He is buried on the island of Caprera on his farm next to his last wife and some of his kids. That is Giuseppe Garibaldi and his life, a quick summary of the unification of Italy Now, Garibaldi was not the red shadow the worker saw that day. In fact, he couldn't see who attacked him. Remember, we're speeding ahead to 1921. Just after the initial attack at the statue of Garibaldi, a couple was walking by the statue alone and were attacked by a red shadow. Shortly after that, a fisherman was hit over the head by the statue. Not by the statue, but nearby the statue. People were getting attacked by this red shadow constantly, so much so that the police and some local men decided to keep watch. Maybe they started the whole idea of a neighborhood watch. Two men grabbed the railing, that circles the monument, and suddenly they were struck so hard that they fell backwards. And when they looked up, there was a man in red sitting on the railing. One of the young men on the ground recognized the red shadow of a man as Old Beppy. He recalled a conversation, Old Beppy and he had a while back. The young man Asked Beppe why he came to the statue every day, and Old Beppe responded, quote, I will always guard my general's back. When I am no longer here, I will do it from heaven, unquote. Old Beppe's birth name was Giuseppe Zoli, who was born in Venice in 1838, and when he was in his early 20s, he enlisted in Garibaldi's army. Again, maybe he was at a bar and heard Garibaldi talking about it, and so he joined. Maybe Garibaldi held a potluck and Zoli showed up and wrote his name down for the army. Who knows? Zoli was one of the thousand soldiers that took Sicily. He was a redshirt, and he survived the entirety of the wars and retired in his hometown of Venice, spending every day visiting Garibaldi's memorial until his death in 1921, a week before the red shadow began attacking people. The news spread through town so quickly that hordes of people began showing up to the statue in hopes of catching a glimpse of the red shadow. It was decided that the best thing to do was to make a statue of Zoli, Giuseppe Zoli, and add it to the statue of Garibaldi and the lion. So if you visit the memorial, make sure you walk all the way around the statue to not only see war hero Garibaldi at the top and the Venice symbol of the lion near the bottom, but to see solely standing in the back of the giant rock guarding his general's back and the statue of Giuseppe Soli he's wearing his soldier uniform and ever since the statue was erected the statue of Giuseppe Soli the red shadow ghost has completely disappeared no one's been attacked no one has seen the red shadow and Soli at Soli's ashes were spread on the cemetery island of San Michele with his two sons. It's honestly such a touching story, a ghost story. Like, war is such a horrific time that I'm sure these men bonded like crazy, especially if they were all volunteers fighting for the same thing. And it was even more of a bonding experience because they were all fighting for such a huge thing as independence. Like this wasn't a war that they were sent to to fight, you know, someone else's war. They all volunteered so that their country could be unified again, which is, it's very moving. And to spend months and months and possibly years with the same people and watching your friends die I could not imagine it. And I'm sure Soli thought of Garibaldi as his brother, if not like a father figure. Probably more like a father figure since he was 20 plus years older. But maybe he thought more of him. It's hard to spend months with a group of people. And then when the war's over to go your separate ways to never see each other again. Like the only understanding I have is like working on a musical or opera or any kind of performance where you're with these people day in, day out, hours upon hours for months or again, years. And when it all ends, you move on to another show, to a different city, hoping that you'll work with them again. But for a lot of times you never see these people again. So yeah, it's intense feelings, and then throw war and murder on that, it's a lot. So I hope you visit the monument in Venice of Garibaldi and Giuseppe Zoli. You won't see the ghost because of the statue being erected, but it's a great story of such a intense time for Italy. So thank you all for listening. Follow the socials for photos related to each episode, guest info, and upcoming news. Make sure you are subscribed or following the podcast so you don't miss any new episodes coming up. And it also really, really helps the podcast grow when you subscribe and follow because it pops up in other people's suggested podcasts then. And hopefully we can continue to grow this little ghost crew. So send me your paranormal experiences at podcast at gmail.com or DM the socials with your stories. Could be anything from a pixie getting caught in your desk drawer to eating shrooms and falling into a hole. Let me know. And I will meet you all back here in a week because everyone loves a ghost story. The Amazing Music is by Tyre. Follow him on Instagram at Queer Popstar and download his music on any streaming service, Apple Music, Spotify, etc. at T-H-A-I-R. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz, follow him on Instagram at P.E.P.E.Munoz, M-U-N-O-Z. I got my information from Wikipedia, Venice for Kids. Britannica and Belle Casselle.